good way to think about it, right, is it is kind of the energy is your third party, right? Like instead of trusting Charles Schwab or Bank of America with my money, you're trusting that energy use, right? So for someone to come in and try to hijack this network, they need to be consuming over 50% more energy than what the network's currently consuming. So that is really your kind of security layer is that no one's going to come in and, and spin up, you know, eight gigawatts to try to <laughs> hijack this network. So that is your trusted third party is the energy use. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Episode 118 of the program going down right now. And it's the first part of a two-part series as we recap the NEMA conference that was last week. Yes, our proud partner, the North American Energy Market Association, held their first conference in more than two years last week at the Lost Pines Resort in Bastrop, just south of Austin. And it went off without a hitch, if I do say so myself. Three action-packed days of networking, three reaction-packed days of fun, excitement, as well as plenty of deal-making and education that went down as well. And we're going to get to that here in just a second. Let's lay out who we've got coming on today. Our CEO and co-founder, Mr. Mike Niemer, telling you a little bit about what he enjoyed from the conference and a little uh, play-by-play of the conference itself. We're also going to hear from Todd Hillman, Senior VP and Chief Customer Officer for MISO. Great conversation with him. Andrew Myers and Brock Peterson from Satoshi Energy, talking all things Bitcoin energy, Bitcoin mining, and the energy that goes into Bitcoin and the cryptos. Very enlightening conversation there. Probably one of the bigger hits of the conference when it comes to education. And then, of course, on that same panel, Mr. Dave Perrell, CEO of Compute North. Of course, this is the second time we've had Compute North on the last couple weeks. We had their director of origination on, Mr. Nathan Sprague. And, of course, uh, the Compute North folks, new members to the NEMA family, and they have not disappointed. So, without further ado, let's hear from our CEO and co-founder, Mr. Mike Niemer. Then stay tuned for Todd Hillman, Andrew Myers, Brock Peterson, and we'll round it out with Mr. Dave Perrell. Here is Mike Niemer. Fred, everybody attending the NEMA conference outside of Austin had a great time, and the main reason for that is, is the ability of Tim Berrigan, Donna Foy, and Steve Shepard for pulling off a great conference. At that conference, we learned everything about weather, both before now and into the future, the forecast. We learned about cryptocurrency, about how he's putting so much extra strain on the grid, particularly here in ERCOT. Learned about the needs of data centers. And they topped it off by teaching us about transmission and the energy transition. So besides for all that education that we got brought to us by a lot of subject matter experts, we also got to have a lot of fun with our networking events. Those networking events included golf, trap shooting, the Iron Chef, and believe it or not, there was actually an amazing race competition. I can proudly say our own Fred Davis and his team won that event. So congratulations to Fred and you and your team. But everybody is just so doggone happy. And I know you've heard it on this podcast 20 different times about being in person. And as people think, well, there won't be a great attendance. Oh, are you wrong? Over 250 people attended. Almost a record-setting event. So Naaman should be proud of that. And above all... I want to personally thank the board of the NEMA Association for letting eRenewable and the Green Insider be the official podcast for such a great organization. 
Fred and I and our entire team, we appreciate the relationship we have with NEMA. You're great to work with. Your members are great to work with. And above all, everybody's here to work and have a little fun. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for attending. Thank you for listening to us on the Green Insider. And we'll see you in Atlanta. The idea that here we are in Houston, Texas, and other parts of the state of Texas, in the United States of America, and we're without freaking power for four days. Right. From where you sat, how, what was that like being in your position where you're watching another you know, entity like ERCOT and you've got millions of folks without power? Yeah, so, so we were in there with them, right? I think the great news about RTOs, and you asked 17 years, that the, really the relationship of the RTOs together has become so much more important, right? So if I don't have the power, and in the case of Yuri, we were getting power from PJM, moving it to us, moving it to SPP, and moving it to ERCOT in as much as we could, right? So I think that was the secret sauce that kind of helped that situation. Doesn't change the mechanics and dynamics behind it, right, unfortunately. Because, you know, I think we're looking at solutions for a one-day storm, but that was, a, like you said, it was a three- and a four-day storm, right? How do, you, how do you put systems in place that are going to be handle those longer-duration events? And, and that's the part that we're sort of saying, we're going to get there, we're going to figure out a way to get there, but we don't have a lot of answers for it. One of the things you brought up was, look, everybody wants more renewables, and we sure. get that, and look, it's great that what, what renewables are able to do, but like you said, we need, you know, lights need to stay on, right. we need the grid to be constantly charged. When do these hard conversations start being had, and why are, not, why are more of them not being had when it comes to, look, we need natural gas. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, I, I think that's a difficult conversation, right? Because you're right. I think everybody, it, it's sort of like back 15 years ago, recycling. Everybody, are, are we going to recycle? Well, yeah, it'd be a wonderful thing, but I don't want to pay for a bin and I don't want to do all of that, right? Now it's a no-brainer, right? Everybody recycles, right? It's what you do. Your recycling bin is big, bigger than your other bin now, right? I think that same mentality, I think, unfortunately, has come to renewables, but the education didn't come with it. So if, if, if you're an average consumer, right, what information do you have? You spend two minutes a, a month looking at your utility bill, 10 minutes looking at your cellular bill because it's a lot more important, right? We got to get that conversation happening again to say, hey, listen, if you want these things, there is a cost associated with those, and it's not a small amount of cost. It is a multitude of cost. And I don't think for a lot of America, they can afford a much higher utility bill. So something's got to give at some point, right? But we do have to continue to educate and say to folks, what would you have to believe for that to be true? If you want to get to 50%, 60% renewables, what would you believe for that to be true? Unfortunately, part of that is probably higher bills for consumers. Where are you at on carbon capture? Because I feel like that could be the elephant in the room in a good way. Yeah. It could play a huge part in keeping natural gas alive. Yeah, so the good news about MISO is, is we, we get folks coming in telling us about a lot of these things. So every technology that has come along, all the way from flywheels, which never quite came to fruition, right? And remember, flywheels are going to be the big thing. Um, energy efficiency, demand response, all that stuff. So I, I think be, being agnostic to fuels like we are, right? We want them all. I love them. I, I will take every single piece of megawatt that can come in and generate to help serve the reliability of the grid. I just think that there are some that are short-term that we have, and there's too many that are long-term and still unproven. Uh, carbon capture and sequestration, hydrogen, solid-state batteries, offshore wind. These are all sexy and nice and fun, but we got to meet load tomorrow. We, we got to meet load next year. We got to meet load two years from now. And none of that stuff is at a scale that really can really move the needle right now. 
even in the biggest markets, um, California, New York, that are really spending a lot of money on that. EVs and the whole demand, you know, the distributed energy resource side of this thing, it's still minuscule megawatts compared to the size of the overall grid. So we've got to figure out a way to bridge that gap, right? Mine the gap between where we are now and where we think that those things will start to become scalable and operate in the market. The, the blessing and the curse is that electricity for the United States, the average consumer, is so reliable yeah. that they don't have the assumption that the rest of the world does around... Nigeria gets six hours of light a day. Right. That's exactly right. So we, we, we live in this bubble that says, man, 24-7, 365 is the expectation, and it better be cheap, and gosh, now it's better be green. I, I, I can get to two out of the three. I, I just can't get to the, the, the affordability part being something that is sustainable going forward. Now, it could come through, I mean, right now, subsidies are a big component of this solar build, right? So solar subsidies coming from the federal government are a huge piece of that dynamic, just like wind. Right, the, the, the production tax credits and investment tax credits were a big part of how they got to from where they started to where they are now, right? So the, the question is, is how long do you have those? And at what point does the market, right? Markets, yeah. commerce, smart business take over. And I think you're starting to see that in some of those um, new technologies, but nothing's really hit yet, right? Nothing's really come out as the clear winner. Right. We got to start having some clear winners. And in the meantime, you may see, I mean, it's not like climate change is making things easier. No. Right? I mean, we, gosh, I mean, we've been through URI, we've been through hurricanes, we've been through tornadoes, ice storms, yeah. floods. You know, I'm wondering when I build the ark and start, you know, bringing two by twos in. But, uh, it, you know, it, it, it's, it, it unfortunately, we have a very short memory, right? Yeah. We, we don't, we don't, rem we remember URI, I think, because it was so unique to Texas. It happened 10 years ago in Texas, it right? Absolutely, I was there for it then too. It happened in 2011. So, you know, I, while I, I would like to think that we we take that information and we change and we pivot, we're not pivoting, not yet. Better place to live, Indiana or Houston? Okay, that's a right. My <laughs> wife is from Houston, so that's a wrong answer. What is the biggest misunderstanding or misconception of crypto mining? I think that it's not a long-term business. So that, that question was asked on the panel. Um, when you look at the Bitcoin network, it's a, a trillion dollar technology company with no single CEO, no single point of failure. So it's here to stay, 100 million us users globally, a trillion dollar network. It's growing every day, adoption's growing every day. Uh, it's really hard for me to imagine any possible scenario where the Bitcoin USD exchange rate will go to zero. Uh, it's just not happening. So it's, it's here to stay. Um, it's that energy buyer of last resort. It's there to capture that surplus energy. It's also there to provide demand response. Um, it's, it solves all of the problems that, that power marketers have been having for a long time. Yeah, I, I think with the biggest misnomer, in it, and I agree with Andrew to kind of do a different take, is the, um, you know, it's going to consume all of our energy, right? Like their economics are just so ridiculous. But I mean, if you rewound four years ago, the revenue for a miner, you know, today it's $200 a megawatt hour was their revenue. A few years ago, it was $30 a megawatt hour was their revenue, right? So they, over time, those margins are going to go back to that $30 a megawatt hour range. So they really are going to be chasing lower utilization rates and cheaper energy. And I think that's why the synergies between, you know, the renewables and Bitcoin mining is so attractive. So you have these large location agnostic loads that are okay with, you know, not high load factors like a traditional data center would have. 
So a little bit about Satoshi Energy. One of the things you talked about is the VPPA, or excuse me, the PPAs that you guys do for the Bitcoin mining aspect of things. So is it just, is it the shorter aspect that's more appealing from a PPA and VPPA aspect for the Bitcoin miners? Uh, it's actually the more flexibility and the lower cost. Okay. I mean, most of these, right, like, it's, um, I mean, there's plenty of, of project developers in this room. Right. Developing projects is not easy, right? Like, you don't want to develop a project and then a year later move that project, right? Like, you want to be there for five years. You want to be there for 10 years. So I think that you will have more flexibility in the future of miners, you know, potentially moving, you know, maybe seasonally or something like that. But right now, that's not happening. They want to put something in the ground. They want that to be there for five to 10 years. So that duration, it, you know, it usually works out pretty well, especially when we work with a lot of wind assets. So they, there's eight years left on the PTC on a particular project. We'll do an eight-year PPA. But the bigger thing is, is you know what does that like all-in energy cost end up looking that's important and then also speed to execution is really important so if they can put something in the ground in two months versus a year from now they're they're going to pay that a premium for that type of product i mean the biggest market and the only market we have time for right now is the bitcoin mining okay, mode fair enough. i think from a structural perspective it's it's somewhat similar to what's happening in green hydrogen and, and battery storage okay uh but we, we don't focus on those markets we really are focused on on the bitcoin mining space when you've got the amount of energy being put into producing Bitcoin, like you said, yeah, that pretty much says all you need to know, right? As far as right. what's viable and what's you know a, a good long-term play, right? Yeah, it's about the, the energy is actually securing the the monetary policy of Bitcoin. So it's securing that 21 million Bitcoin supply cap. It's securing the way that transactions work and flow across the network. Yeah. And you need that security, otherwise it, that network could then be changed by some party who wants to see it change. And so like the, rule, the rules of Bitcoin are, and, and people who operate in the Bitcoin network, they're doing it because it's a, a scarce asset and they want to see it have a long-term value and they want to see it be used as money, as this, this measuring stick for supply and demand in the economy. Um, and, and no other quote-unquote cryptocurrency has that same security backing or, or decentralization uh, of the monetary policy like Bitcoin has. Yeah, because I think you, like a good way to think about it, right, is it is kind of the energy is your third party, right? Like instead of trusting Charles Schwab or Bank of America with my money, you're trusting that energy use, right? So for someone to come in and try to hijack this network, they need to be consuming over 50% more energy than what the network's currently consuming. So that is really your kind of security layer is that no one's going to come in and, and spin up, you know, eight gigawatts to try to <laughs> hijack this network. So that is your trusted third party is the energy use. I'll get you guys out of here with this. Uh, I mean, for as crazy as things have been, and obviously in the state of Texas, when it comes to Bitcoin mining and what have you, how busy are you guys on? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing 2022, y'all are <laughs> rocking and rolling as much as you've ever been. Yeah. <laughs> this, I'd say this speaking here in this conference, I mean, not that we're not doing a lot of work here, it probably is like, you know, this is the most free time I've had in a while. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nights right. and weekends. This is like There's relaxing for us. Yeah, do some handle. <laughs> okay, well, like, hey, business is good. Real quick, for folks that want to know more about what uh, Satoshi Energy's doing, where can they find you guys on social and all that good stuff? Yeah, satoshienergy.com, S-A-T-O-S-H-I, energy.com. Um, Our emails are just first name at satoshienergy.com. So that's yeah. Brock, B-R-O-C-K, and Andrew. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And please feel free to reach out. Any TikToks? Any uh, no. anything uh, like that? No. no. Some, some Twitters. <laughs> some, <laughs> you know, a little bit of Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll work yeah. on the TikToks. You guys pivoted early on in Compute Norse uh, history, right? Like you guys were, I know you did what, the, the airplane hangar, but then he said about a few months into it, you guys went to the modular design. 
changes? Yeah, a couple of things really drove the modular approach. First was flexibility okay. of where we could place it. Obviously, we were learning that energy assets, whether they were stranded or you know undergenerating or had a basis congestion risk, made a lot of sense. It was a lot easier for us to permit build for having pre-made modules that were ready to go versus doing you know a full build out of a data center. Okay. And so that was kind of the impetus that drove that. But the other advantages that it gave us was speed. We can do most of our assembly work and all of our construction off-site in a very fast, rapid fashion. You know, we can do all our build-outs without skilled electricians in the field to do all our wiring and our harnesses and our heat containment and everything so that when it actually scales up, it's very rapid. We like the fact that we also can do upgrade them. We can upgrade these units on a one-by-one -one basis. Okay. So if and when technology changes, instead of ripping out a whole building and ripping out an entire sheet, we can literally do a container by a container upgrade that specific unit to whatever kind of technology that we need. It might be increased density, it could be things like immersion cooling. You know, we've done this yeah. in the past at like our Nebraska location and it works out fantastic. And then obviously just the ability for us to scale yeah. is really unparalleled by having that type of supply chain in place. What did you learn though, and, and from, you know, again, you're a data center guy, but that 5% interruptibility Basically, with the tier zero, just change the. I mean, you literally changed the entire game. With <laughs> I, that interrupt. I, I, I can't personally take any credit for that. That goes a lot to my my co-founder, who comes from 30 years in the energy sector, okay. DJ Lee. So he's been you know, project finance for 30 years, but wind and solar the last 15. Yeah. And one of the issues that he really had was in around assets that were you know betting on the merchant. And all of a sudden had an issue or all of a sudden you know prices had crashed or that were you know being curtailed for whatever reason and he had a 50 megawatt project in the atacama desert that had exactly this okay. the long-term ppa had expired they had gotten merchant on it it was it was getting you know financially underwater and he needed a load and like this was a real great solution with the ability to you know trade around that five percent uh, I guess curtailment piece and so that was kind of the original model thank God it was a lot easier to set up operations in Texas than it was to go to Chile to 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 set up that original site you know uh, things worked out for him there but that was really kind of the uh, I guess the genesis moment where we started to really pivot into how do we make this energy centric how do we make this energy first how do we be you know I guess partners with the energy construct the IPPs and the grid operators yeah. and help them solve real problems by bringing the compute to where they need it. I'm impressed by the fact that, you know, you said, what, five years ago, you power markets, you had, you know, little to no knowledge of them, or not. Personally, I didn't. My, again, my co-founder did, but, but so, yeah, saying, it was to, nascent but, but days. But for you yeah. to go up yeah. there today, I mean, you would have never known. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I mean, I, look, I've been doing this for a year. I mean, I'm, I was fascinated by, by, you know, you rattling that off. What... What's that? I mean, is it just what? Just from immersing yourself in this industry? I mean, how did? What, what was yeah, the learning I mean, curve? Yeah, I mean, yeah, for you? sure. I mean, obviously, we're around the we're around the the energy world every day. Yeah. Now, right. Both in terms of our personnel, our staff, our team. We have some you know real executive presence that you know with, with long you know tenures at IPPs, grid operators, power marketers, yeah. uh, traders, etc. And even a lot of our strategic investors. We just closed our Series C uh, about 60 days ago. But you know, Constellation, Mercuria, National Grid. You know, just name a few obviously some of our key investors so we, we really brought that that construct that know-how that knowledge and i guess you, you learn a lot of that through osmosis and, and and being around those kind of people but you know we're really fortunate to have just an incredible team that gets those markets understands it and they can help construct a lot of the commercialization to make it work we're right next to the generation right station the so generation it's a 1.2 okay. combined okay. cycle natural gas plant and if you imagine obviously having you know 300 megawatts of consistent load yeah they can run the plant a ton more efficient absolutely i mean it'll get to the point where actually it can almost make a you know 
a combined cycle plant of that size, a peaker plant. Yeah. Because we can ramp up and ramp down so quickly yeah. with the load. Now we're not there yet. I mean, it's still early. We're still running on you know ancillary services, running in those markets. But at a certain point, I think we'll tie in with Constellation where we can actually do that. And that's kind of the vision. The big innovations we're going to be continuing to push is in and around the software. You okay. know, how do we get further you know integrated with our grid partners, with our generation partners to help them solve the problems? Um, the projects are are getting certainly bigger. I think the use cases are going to expand. In short order, again, some of the other verticals that we see, like machine learning, graphic rendering, you know, image processing, you know, weather modeling, genome sequencing, etc. So these high, high compute, non-mission critical use cases, we want to also move to these types of facilities. Again, what we call interruptible computing, or again, tier zero. Man, that's just awesome. So, you know, last week, you know, Fred interviewed Nathan yeah. with your company, right? And listening to that podcast, it made me realize that you guys managing data center facilities and so on and so forth. Are you helping them structure their PPAs or BPPAs that they're doing as far as they're the buying from soups to nuts? So so in essence, we, we help manage all the infrastructure, the commercialization, the software, the operations. Most of our customers are more on the commercial side. So they want to purchase, you know, they go to the markets to get debt, get equity, however they need right. to you know, finance their operations and their machines. We help them execute that vision in the most sustainable, cost-effective way. And so that's a combination of engineering, the commercial and legal side of this, the, the software side, and obviously bringing this all together in a cohesive product that, that helps them run efficiently and at scale. Gotcha. So, you know, Fred touched on it a little bit ago with regards to the, the length of the term of some of those uh, electricity deals that are being done. Yeah. Where do you, what is the sweet spot right now in the market? Are they five years, eight years, 12 years? Five years is the sweet spot. So. Five years. Yeah, that's really where we're seeing customers really interested. I think it's the right point that they're comfortable going out and they're getting on the other side of what's going on in the craziness and the volatility of kind of the short term curves right now. And do you see your customers more interested in the physical PPA or the virtual PPA? Both. They're doing both. Both. We're, we're both. I mean, we still need a physical interconnect. Right. And that's where a lot of times putting it at the actual point of generation makes a lot of sense. But again, they want the ESG story. They want to be 100%. So if right. there is a you know, grid backstop, we want to find a way to also green that up. Now, I know with some data centers, additionality is not as important as price and availability. Yep. Are, are you finding that? We're the truth? opposite. You're the so, opposite. Yeah. So I heard you mentioned additionality yeah. up there, and we're talking to some data centers. Additionality is not part of what they. Care yeah, about. we love the idea if we could bring additionality, right? If we could bring on board a new wind farm again, maybe we only take a five-year offtake while they're waiting on the interconnect, but we could help bring a load and take 100% of that load for a certain point in time. Those are some of the constructs that are being. So, so you're going to layer in whether part of it being in the PPA and part of it just being in the grid layer. Correct. Yeah, and it? some of those again are just early discussions, but that's where we're starting to see the market go. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Dave Perrell. You can catch all other Green Insider episodes over at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and on our website, eRenewable.com. Stay tuned for Wednesday where we'll have the final episode with Dr. Krishnamurti and Afriya Nasir for the U of H Cougs Energizing the Energy Transition Series. Just getting their final thoughts on the eight-part series, how it went, and then, of course, we will crown the winners on Friday at a live event on the campus. Part two of our... Name a conference series will go down on Thursday. Action-packed, plenty of stuff you're going to hear from the seven or eight folks that we spoke to for Thursday's episode. You will be ready for that. And then, of course, next week we get right back down to business. Two more episodes, our regular weekly episode, then, of course, our Follower Friday. Give us a follow on our LinkedIn page if you haven't done so already. E-Renewable and the Green Insider Podcast, you will be glad that you did. Shout-out, as always, to the entire E-Renewable team and Mike, Roger, Al. Without you guys doing 
doing what you do, we couldn't do what we do. This has been the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier. Easier.